God's word, God's people, and God's truth are under assault and attack. Take refuge in the Lord. We need everyone to dig deeper, to lay the foundation so that we can stand tall for the Lord. All right, good morning. Good morning to everybody. <clears throat> For some reason, I was under the impression the kids were staying in here this morning. Uh. <laughs> Maybe there'll be a mass uh, entrance. There was an exodus. Now let's see if there's an entrance. <clears throat> well, welcome to Gateway. If you're a guest, thank you for being here. And typically, uh, this is the moment our students... Uh, will go to their class in the back. However, uh, we, we're doing this thing called foundations where it's so important that they, we're all on the same page in, in this information. So we recently decided to leave them in the service for the last Sunday of every month. It used to be the last Sunday of every quarter, but it's the last Sunday of the month. <clears throat> so... I think they're, they're coming back. <clears throat> yeah. We love you guys. We love you guys. We love you here with us. All right. What a healthy, good-looking group of students. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. All right. They just all had to go to the bathroom at the same time. You know how that happens. Sometimes you have to take your friend to the bathroom with you. Girls usually do that. <clears throat> All right. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Uh, but hopefully you'll pick up on something here. And, um, and I'm giving uh, you permission to ask your parents for ex something extra today. Whatever it is extra you want. You get it. <clears throat> All right. Again, welcome. I'm Pastor Dave. Uh, typically, I'm at the St. Albans campus. As it turned out, uh, this is the second or third time that I've already, in advance, been scheduled to preach here, and something happens, and the power goes out in St. Albans. So there's no electricity in St. Albans. Some big power poles with transformers. I mean, phew, not the transformers that turn into cars and things, but y'all, most of you know what I'm talking about. They just broke. <clears throat> so they say Tuesday, the power will be back on in St. Albans. I know Steve Harley one time uh, accused me of coordinating with the uh, AEP to make sure the power was off there when the last time he was over there, or one of the last times. But Philip is preaching there, and I was already scheduled to preach here. On these Foundation Sundays, which is the last Sunday of the month, uh, I'm just rotating. You know, I'm doing one month here, one month there, one month here, one month there. And on these Sundays, we have a Sunday night thing where we dig a little bit deeper and try to be more practical because we want to help our parents and grandparents and small group leaders and whomever to be able to digest the topic, the information, and share it with uh, those over whom they have influence. <clears throat> so, that's what we're doing today. We're at Foundation Sunday, 
And this is our, uh, this is our yearly teaching curriculum. This is, what we're, this is what we're doing, guys. We're trying to shore up the foundations of, uh, of your life, of your heart. That's what we want to do. And so we all get the information here. We all get this information, and then we process it in our small groups later in the week, and perhaps with your parents and, and with your kids uh, later on in the week. Psalm 11 is kind of gives us the, the reason for this series. The Bible says, the wicked bend the bow. In other words, it's already in uh, cocked and locked and cocked, as they say. They have fitted their arrow <clears throat> to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. In other words, they're going to hit you when you don't see it coming. They're going to hit you at places where you didn't realize you were going to be hit. That may be a place you trusted, <clears throat> might be with some people you trusted, but you're going to get hit in the dark. You're not going to know it's coming. The arrow is already fit to the bow. The wicked are shooting at you and me. And then he says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So we're trying to be a little preemptive here. Use our brains, use our spiritual smarts and go on the defense because we know they're going to attack us. We know our culture that is led by its prince, the evil one, the devil. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air of this world. We know the arrows are flying already. Some of you are already victims to these arrows. You have already been struck by the uh, atheism, the, um, uh, uh, you know, some kind of progressive Christianity, if that's really Christianity, it's not. Some kind of attempt to take the Bible out of your life and marginalize it and push your, your views to the side and call them extreme and radical. The arrows are shooting at your marriage. They're shooting at your children. They want your children. They're shooting right through those iPhones, right through their social media accounts. They're shooting right through there, and the algorithms are hooking their little brains and sucking them in, and they're believing everything they see. We know they're trying to confuse us about what God has already said about male and female and sex and sin, and we're getting this on middle school and below level. Even elementary teachers are dealing with this kind of stuff today. And we know they want us to chase a thousand other issues, lesser issues, in order to distract us. I believe that's, in a sense, wokeism. To say, hey, chase this, this really matters. It should matter to you, but it doesn't really matter to me. We know they want us distract us from living the life that God has called us to live. And we know they'd love nothing more than for us to be pushed to the margins of our culture and considered too radical, too dangerous, too extreme to really be in the mainstream. And that's what's happening. If you've been paying attention, that's what we're hearing. And that's what's going on in our world today. But we're fighting back here. We're on the defense, providing a rational defense for our faith. We want this stuff... <clears throat> 
the stuff that Aubrey's teaching here to our children. We want this to become, by the time these young people are teenagers, we want it to be so routine in their brains that when they hear the nonsense and the garbage that's coming from uh, a university professor or a social media platform or some friends out there, we want it to be so ingrained into them since they were little kids that they say, that's crazy. You're crazy. I know what I believe, and I know why I believe it. And that's our goal for you if you're a young person here today. And if you're not a young person here today, then that's our goal for you, to keep growing in this so that you too can recognize the arrows that are flying and take a defensive posture and then go on the offense because the Bible says God's word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. According to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit and it, along with prayer, are our only offensive weapons. So if you want to fight back, it's one thing to be on the defense and to know why you believe what you believe so you can answer them. But if you want to go on the offense, you get into the Bible, get into God's Word, and get into prayer and start praying. Those are your offensive weapons. So to catch you up, in case you haven't been here, we're covering every month one topic. Our children are getting a little, bit of, a little bitty part of this every Sunday, <clears throat> every Sunday leading up to the last Sunday where we uh, preach on the main topic. And then on Sunday night, just for that one Sunday night, the last Sunday night of the month, we come back here and we dive a little deeper on how we can make this practical and how we can teach it. And tonight, we're going to be talking about a topic that I'm not going to say out loud, but I'll tell you the first word is S, and the last word is X. So, I mean, it could be socks. We could be talking about socks tonight, all right? So we're going to, we're going to discover the topic and why God's plan for your life in that area matters. We've covered in the month of January the fact that God is real. <clears throat> God is real. There's evidence for this. In February, we said God created our world, and there's evidence for this. Many of us were hoping that Senate Bill 619 was going to pass. How many of you were familiar with that? Anybody know what was going on in our legislature? Uh, one of our uh, one, a young student from Hurricane High School was helping lead the charge on this. Some of you may know him. Um, I forgot his name right off the top of my head, but <clears throat> uh, some of you may know him. You may know about his story. He spoke in front of the West Virginia uh, legislatures, and he, uh, he tried to sell this point. And Senate Bill 619 was a bill, had it passed, that would have allowed teachers, public school teachers, to teach as an alternative theory, alternative theory, the origins of life intelligent design as the origins of life. It's just, a, just the permission to teach it as a theory, alternative to evolution and evolutionary science. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to ask the question I think I know about you. How many of you would like for your kids, if they're being taught evolutionary science, how many of you would also like for them to be taught intelligent design as an option? 
I hope you would. And I hope not only would you allow your teachers to do it, but you would be the primary teacher in that. And I hope that's what you're doing. Uh, you know, <clears throat> the funny thing, that when the ACLU first started, it was back at the Scopes Monkey Trial back in the 20s. And the ACLU was fighting. They were fighting for more than one line of uh, reasoning to be taught in the schools. They said it is absolutely unfair that only one theory is taught. And we need another theory. Guess what theory was taught before the 1920s in this country, before the Scopes Monkey Trial? It was, it was creation. It was the, kind of the biblical version. They were like, it's, it, is, it is unreasonable and it is, it is not right that only one version is taught. So some spineless Republicans somewhere probably gave into that and said, okay, you can teach this. That maybe they weren't spineless as much as they are today, but, the, but the, maybe they weren't far-seeing enough. And, uh, and I'm a Republican too, by the way. I don't know if you, I care if you know that. Uh, but... <laughs> But uh, they allowed it to happen. And now what's happening, it swung the other way. Swung the other way. And now guess how many theories are being taught for the origins of life? Only one. What's the ACLU saying about that? Oh, it's okay. It's okay. We can't teach the Bible. We can't teach intelligent design. <clears throat> so it's, it's very hypocritical and a double standard. So sadly, Senate Bill 619 failed to make it out of committee because some people I think are weak in their faith and afraid they're afraid of the 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 mob the culture judging them or calling them something I want to tell you something folks here is the test of our day this is the test of our day it's it's not so much <clears throat> what I had to do when I was a teenager or a younger man but the test of our day today is will you toe the line for Jesus? Will you stand on Christian values? Will you adopt a biblical worldview and stay with that? <clears throat> because that's what God wants for you. So, <clears throat> we're going to talk today about God has a plan for my life. And <clears throat> why is this topic important? Well, because I believe many people, especially uh, younger people, to, you know, those who get their freedom finally, uh, late teens, 20s, 30s, they're believing the lie to chase after worldly things, to have all the things that the world offers will bring them satisfaction, money, fame, sex, power, uh, whatever. And they don't give a, a thought to the fact that God created them with a purpose, Mark Twain once said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were what? Born and the day you figure out why. Not die. <laughs> figure out why you were born. That's the third most important day of your life, the day you die, <clears throat> maybe. Unfortunately, a lot of people never figure out why. why. Why am I here? Why am I here? But God's Word tells us it's not for the world for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. But so many people are chasing those things. But I want to tell you something, this plan is a dead end. It might look all glamour and glitz and might 
try to give you all that you think you want, but it's a dead end on, on down the road. It's a dead end. And then there are others who aren't pursuing any plan because they think they're just here as a, a cosmic accident. And so why do anything? And that's the same path. Pursuing the world or pursuing nothing is a dead-end path. And sadly, for a lot of people, it is a dead-end. According to the CDC, right now in 2023, suicide is the 12th leading cause of death in our country every single day, including today, on average, there are 130 suicides. 130, and most of these suicides are happening between the ages of late teen to early 30s. So isn't it ironic that when these young people are getting their freedom, all of a sudden they're not sure what to do and they lose themselves and they lose focus on their purpose, on what God has for them? And they take their life. The, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That while this text may not specifically apply to us generally because it is God's word, what God is saying here is, he says, my plans are good. They may not be what you think are the best. They may go through some valleys. There may be some pain and some suffering. But my plan is the best for you. It turns out the best for you. It's not a dead end. It is an open door. It's an open door. So I believe we can go to the Bible. <clears throat> if we want to know our purpose, we need to go to the Bible. We need to go to God because he's the one who created us. We need to go there and find out our purpose. And there's a threefold purpose for your life. Threefold purpose. Now, I know what you're thinking. You might be thinking, oh, well, today he's going to tell me if I should go into engineering or if I should go into the medical field. We can talk about that on the side, and I can tell you, give you some advice. Your parents really ought to be helping you, or somebody that knows you uh, better than I do should be helping you. But I can give you some advice on that, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. But I think from today's message, you might have a better picture of what specifically it is that God wants you to do. For him, God's plan for your life. But this plan I'm talking about today applies to every single person from the very first person, Adam, his wife, Eve, all the way to the very last person who is born, who lives before the Lord returns or the earth is uh, um, all frozen to death, whatever they're saying is going to happen. A very last person, God's plan is the same. And it's the same because he's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. So God's plan for your life is the same. And here's the first part of God's plan for your life. He wants to be in a close relationship with you. He, he wants, that's his plan for your life. Be in a close relationship. You know, people are looking for relationship. People are looking for relationship, and the, and the older you get, you know, you start looking for someone that you want to settle down with and, and maybe start a family. People are looking for relationship, but even before you start a relationship with another person, you should be in a relationship with God. And we see young people coming to faith and coming to this relationship, and, and maybe they don't know everything. Maybe they can't answer all the theological questions. Who can, right? But they can start that relationship when they acknowledge that there's my mom, there's my dad, but there's also a God who created us. 
and I want a relationship with him. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. How many of you here have children? <clears throat> you have children or, or grandchildren. Got to have children to have grandchildren. Yeah. So those of you who have children, <clears throat> do you, do you, w- picture them when they were small. They were small. Do you remember the pleasure you got from seeing them, their little bitty bodies, and this start smiling? You realize it was gas, but it was still a smile. It counted. And remember, they started to grow, and they started to take their first steps. Remember that? You guys remember that, Katie? You remember that? Tim, you remember that? Yeah. And we long for those days. It was so fun because, you know, you could push them down and they'd get back up and could outrun them. You could still beat them at stuff. But, um, and they bring us pleasure. I'm talking about basketball and, you know, tennis. You know, there's a time when mom and dad stop letting you win because they're afraid you're going to win. And uh, this, this brings us pleasure. They raise their arms for you to pick them up. They start eating and personality and dancing, and it's just so incredible to see their little personalities, and, and then, uh, then you catch them uh, at, in bed at night, and they're asleep, and you just watch their little face, and that's you. That's your genetics. That's what you did. That's what God gave you, and it brings you such great pleasure, doesn't it? And, and uh, they grow up and become teenagers, and even as teenagers, they bring us a few moments of pleasure after that, right? Can I get an amen? amen. <clears throat> maybe more. And, you know, when you, when you have them all around a dinner table, like maybe on a vacation cruise or something, or you, you're all together under a picnic shelter, that brings, uh, that brings your parents so much pleasure. They just like being around you. The problem is as you get older, the less you want to be around them. But So those moments are less and less, but they bring lots of pleasure. So if you can remember and think about the pleasure that you're getting, like Luke's getting right now with his little one, a lot of pleasure. It's pleasure. It's pleasure. <laughs> That's yours. God gave you her. If you can remember that feeling, multiply that by a gazillion and that's what God gets when he looks at you. And, and you can even multiply that by a gazillion when you draw close to him and you want a relationship with him. God gets pleasure from you regardless because he made you unique. But when you draw close to him, it is pleasure unending that God gets from being in a relationship with you. In Genesis 3.8, we kind of get a picture of what it was like in the garden before sin came into the picture. Now, Genesis 3.8 is after sin happened, but it gives us a picture, an indication of what it might have been like before sin happened. And the Bible says, <clears throat> Genesis 3.8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, some versions translate this word cool as breezy breezy so we get the we get kind of the uh the idea that this was the evening time that it was a nice day every day in the garden of eden was a nice day and it was evening time and it was a little breezy it was just a nice day to be outside walking around not like not breezy like yesterday breezy that was breezy on steroids right there 
just a nice day. And God comes down. And he and Adam and Eve just go for a walk. They just go for a walk because he's enjoying their company. They're enjoying his company. Can you imagine what they talked about? Can you imagine the information that Adam had access to from the God of the universe? They were just talking and walking through the garden. Must have been an incredible thing. And that it's kind of uh, leads me to believe that that's what things were like before sin came into the world. Because this verse, sin had come into the world and God came down. Notice he wasn't barreling through the garden like an angry bear because they had broken his law. He wasn't shouting at them from a distance saying, I'm going to find you. You sin, you ate of that tree and I told you not to. No, God wasn't doing that. He was just walking like he always did. He was walking. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of what the Bible says about Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. In other words, Enoch's relationship with God was so close that God just took him up. Exodus thirty-three, eleven. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Kind of reminds me, some of you will remember the old story about the little boy in Sunday school. And the t- teacher said, kids, next week we're going to start talking about the names of God. And the little boy raised his hand, Tim, and he said, I know God's name. And uh, she said, oh, you do? What's God's name? And he said, that's when you're supposed to answer. Andy. Andy, the teacher said, Andy? Yeah, my grandmother sings that song all the time. I come to the garden alone. Andy talks with me. (laughs) Andy walks with me. Andy tells me I am his own. Now, that's a Jeff Ranson joke, and I figured here it would have got a bigger laugh. But, you know, you can know God intimately. And let me tell you something. If you don't get a whole lot of other things accomplished in your life. I'm talking about awards and trophies and careers and all the stuff that you think you got to have in your life. But if you get your relationship right with God and you walk with God, you will have accomplished the number one thing. I'm going to say that again for you young people. If If you don't get the career you want, if you don't get the opportunities you think you want, if you don't get the money you think you should make, if none of that happens for you, but you get your relationship with God right, and you walk with him, and you talk with him, and you get close to him, you will have gotten the main thing right in your life. You will have gotten it right. It it doesn't matter what else you got wrong, but if you got that right, you, you will have gotten it right. When Jesus was at Mary and Martha's house, Mary and Martha were hosting him. And you remember the scene, and this is one of my favorite passages, Luke chapter 10. And Martha was in the kitchen working to get things ready. And what was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And uh, I, I think Mary, have you ever been in a restaurant and somebody breaks a plate? You know, everybody, everybody looks up. I think Martha threw a plate down on the floor got their attention. The uh, Bible doesn't say that, okay, but I'm just adding to here. I think she got their attention. She said, Lord, Lord, don't you care that I am here serving you? And she's doing nothing? And you know what Jesus said? He said, yeah, Mary, you ought to get up and help your sister. She's working over there by herself to give us a meal. 
Jesus didn't say that, did he? Jesus said, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You know what? The things she was doing were good things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What had Mary chosen? To be close to Jesus. To grow in her relationship with God. Now, folks, that's the main part of God's plan for your life. Get close to to God in your relationship. It, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, your skin color, your economic background, your gifts, where you're headed, nothing. That's your main thing. That's God's plan for your life. If you work on that, uh, you'll, you'll be doing good. But there's two other subsidiary things I want to mention real quickly <clears throat> before we close, uh, because it comes right out of the garden. Your, uh, God's plan for your life is threefold. It's to come close to him and then to serve him, to serve him. Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, what did God give Adam and Eve to do? To look after the creeps on the earth. <laughs> Everything that creeps on the earth. And then down in, uh, down in uh, chapter... <clears throat> Two, and we're going to skip down to that last verse there, Mike. Uh, I'm going to summarize the first part. God, God uh, had a, a beautiful garden. He planted a garden. He made a man. He planted a garden. And then in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So here's, here was what Adam was supposed to do and Eve was supposed to do to serve God. In their relationship with him, they also had a job to do. What was that job? To take care of the garden. Now, men, I've always heard to never plant a garden, Brad, bigger than your wife can take care of. That's good advice. Never plant a garden bigger than your wife can take care of. But hey, that, that, was, you know, that was the first thing to do. Now, if there had been other things to do, you'd probably give them that too. But that was what there was to do. God gave them a garden and said, all you got to do is take care of it. All you got to do is take care of it. And in those days before sin, it was easy. I mean, it wasn't like my garden where I'm plucking weeds and running the tiller and accidentally running over my beans and corn. I mean, it was, it was easy gardening. There was no thorns and weeds and stuff like that. It was drop a seed, see some fruit. That was, that was his job. It was a pretty easy job. They loved it. They loved it. I know we don't love working in the garden. I do, till the weeds start. But they loved it because it's what God gave them to do. So what are you supposed to do? Preacher, am I supposed to go plant a garden? Well, it is almost garden time, and you're, you know, people around you might appreciate that. If you can do that. It's very therapeutic, as Barney Fife says, therapeutic. It's good for you. It's good for you. But is that what you're supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know. God has shaped each one of us uniquely to serve him. We've used this before. The Rick Warren came up with this. I'm not a huge Rick Warren fan, but man, he came up with some good acronyms. And he, he taught, and I, I believe that, that we are all shaped uniquely to serve God, to do something. And, of course, that stands for spiritual gifts. God has given you, unlike anybody else, your heart. I'm not talking just about the organ. I'm talking about your passion for something, 
What are you passionate about? Your abilities, there are some things you're good at that other people aren't good at. And of course, you have a unique personality. You have a unique personality, some of you two or three. And uh, <laughs> thank you, Lisa, for getting that. And God gave that to you to do something with. And of course, your experiences, whatever you've been through, God gave you experiences. So God has shaped you to do something. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. It doesn't matter to God what you do. It doesn't matter. You could try three or four things. Trying to discover what God wants you to do to serve him. And that's the key thing. Whatever you do, Paul says, work at it. Whatever you work at it, work it heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So it doesn't matter what you do. Now, God's not going to call you to be a stripper. He's not going to ask you to sell drugs on the street. He's not going to ask you to do anything illegal or immoral or unethical. And so, you know, there are some guidelines here. But whatever God has given you to do, however he has shaped you, do that. And whatever you do with that, serve him. And now everything you do can be service to God. That's how you serve God. That's how you serve him. You're serving by saying, this job I have, this, this thing that I do, this stuff that I make, this boring job that I have, now all of a sudden it suddenly becomes exciting because I do this for the Lord. I do this for the Lord. So bring some smiles to people, bring a, 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 a good feeling to the workplace and and uh, speak the truth in love. Help people. There's so many things you can do with what you do to serve God. And lastly, uh, his threefold plan for you is to obey him. Now, I know this is kind of the killjoy, but let's talk about it. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's always fun if you're married, right? And subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So they were given some instructions here. You need to go do this. And then down in chapter 2, verse 16 of Genesis, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So you can do anything you want to do. Take care of it. Enjoy it. It's fun. It's fantastic. Just don't touch this one tree right here. Now, I was talking to John Tracy the other day. Would Adam and Eve have sinned if the devil hadn't tempted them? Would they have sinned if the devil hadn't tempted them? Now, I think you and I would have sinned even if the devil hadn't tempted us because we now have a sin nature. But Adam and Eve didn't have a sin nature. They didn't have a belly button either. I know you might have came for that information. They didn't need one. It's a functional piece of equipment. They didn't have a sin nature. If the devil had never tempted them, I don't think they would have sinned. I don't think they would have sinned. And you and I would be living in a Garden of Eden today. Somebody eventually would have blown it, though, huh? The devil would have slipped in. So, but, but here's the point. God didn't put these parameters up, these guardrails, these constraints to ruin their fun or destroy their pleasure. 
He, he didn't put these up so that they would be like, oh, man, we can't eat of that tree. Oh, God's holding out on us. That's what the devil said. God's holding out on you. He's lying to you. He's holding back from you. They believe the lie. God said, no, I know what's best for you. It's like as a parent, when I tell my kids, hey, don't play in the street. I'm doing that because I want to keep you alive. I want to see you uh, this evening. And when, when, we, when we give commands to our children, instructions, we're doing it for, for their benefit, for their safety, for their well-being. And so does God. Deuteronomy 10, this shows that not only did God expect this plan from Adam and Eve, but also from God's people, the Israelites. What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. It's for your good. And that's what God is saying. And so we, uh, you know, we struggle with this. We struggle with, uh, now that we have a sin nature, we struggle with doing, living out this plan for our life. This past week, it came out in the, in the news. I was listening to these two professional hockey players, the Stahl brothers, Michael and somebody, refused to wear a gay pride shirt the night that their team was celebrating gay pride. They said, no, we're not going to wear it. We're not going to wear it. And uh, there's a statement there. I won't go back and read it. But basically, they said, look, we're not telling anybody how to live their life. And we expect that people won't tell us how to live our life. We should be able to choose what we celebrate. And you should be able to choose what you celebrate. And it just so happens that if we put on a gay pride jersey, it says to the world that we're celebrating something that our religion is against. It's against. It goes against our Christianity and we just choose not to participate. Now, the funny thing is, 20 years ago, that would have been okay. They would have said, the culture would have said, the teammates would have said, that's okay. Hey, if you're this religious belief and you have convictions about that, you don't have to participate. That's called tolerance. Tolerance is when you can do whatever you want to do. I think it's the wrong path for you. I think it could lead to hell, and I'm going to tell you why in love, because you're a friend of mine, but you can still choose it. Nobody's twisting your arm to do anything right or wrong. Therefore, don't twist my arm to do what you want me to do. Tolerance today is not just accept that I get to do what I want to do, but you say what I want to do is right. You have to say it's right. You have to agree that it's the right thing or you, as these brothers are being called, are a bigot. They're calling these guys bigots. You see how the world does you? That's, that's the way the world does you. You can't stand up for your beliefs or they call you bigots or homophobic or extremists or radicals or intolerant and they label you some way that, oh man, I don't want to be labeled that way. But I want to tell you something, young people. I'd rather stand in front of God and say, God, I, in love the best I could, I followed your word. 
I, didn't, I followed your plan. I didn't follow the plan of the world for my life. It matters. It matters. It'll matter on judgment day, which could be today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us this truth, this word. I pray, Lord, that you would apply it to our lives, that we would pursue your plan for our life. And Lord, we know when we do that, you open the door for us to do so many wonderful, adventurous things because we're doing it all with the gifts, the shape that you've given us. We're giving you the glory and the honor in all of it. And you're adding to our lives all these other things, blessings. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's all stand up. We're going to...